Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. I'm here with my workmate and friend, Leah Hodge, and uh, she's agreed to come and join the podcast this week so that we can talk about reaching out to family. Leah is a convert to Christianity, and in particular to the Seventh-day Adventist church movement. And um, just want to welcome you to the podcast, Leah. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're someone who's edited many of these podcasts, but you've only been a guest two times. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I think you have a lot of valuable things to say because you have an experience with God and you lived a life that was clearly devoid of Jesus. And now you've come to faith in him. You've surrendered your life to his lordship. You've accepted his salvation and you've joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And and you're evangelistic and you're very missional. And that's one of the reasons why you work in the evangelism department. But you're not just the assistant of the evangelism director in this conference. You're an evangelist yourself. Yep. Amen. I mean, how often, how much do you think about your family and reaching them for Jesus? Oh, every day. Yeah, every day. Mainly in my prayers. But in the beginning of my Christian walk, by the way, I think just before we start getting further into it, I think families are one of the hardest people to reach for me personally, because there can be very awkward in, you could create a reaction in them that would then hinder having further interaction with them because your family knows you and you have you spend time with them and you have family events and so if you bring something up that could really offend them or put them off like it does it could hinder so there's I think it's really hard for me to reach certain family members but other people might think it's it's a lot easier but for me as a bible worker I'd rather knock on doors and ask someone to say the bible who I have no idea who they are because no matter what your interaction is you will not need to relate to them as you relate to family in the future yeah, that's right. So if they reject me on the door, I go to the next door and it's like water off a duck's back. And it's just easier to ask someone directly who I don't even know, which sounds really weird. Do you want to study the Bible with me? But I would not take that approach with my family. And I think you can in certain circumstances. I think it really depends on the relationship you have with that particular family member. For instance, when I first came to Christ about seven years ago, the first person who I brought to Christ was my brother and I have two brothers two older brothers and it was the middle brother who I reached out to first and me and him me and my other brothers my my two brothers we've always had a good relationship but it's just been different so my older brother is very much like me actually He's bold, he's opinionated, he's outgoing like more outgoing than me very extroverted but my middle brother is very quiet introverted yeah he's just got a different personality so we've always been generally closer because we're closer in age as well but when I first came to Christ I remember watching this set of DVDs and it was by Leo Shreven and they're what brought me to surrender my heart to Jesus and I thought I have to share these with Sam so that's what I did I just gave it to him I had no fear no worry about him saying no I don't want to look at that or whatever gave it to him I said you have to watch this this is amazing And I was just so excited because it was just the best news I've ever heard. And so he took them and he watched them. And then he ended up staying the Bible with um, Pastor Danny and being baptized. So, but my other brother, no, not the same. (laughs) So he's, he's very much 
cynical towards religion, very much, yeah, had some big obstacles in his way. And so I, I actually would have never have done that approach to him. So. Yeah. So how many people in your family are believers and how many are not? So my mum is a believer. My brother, Sam, is I am. And then my dad and my brother are not, although my dad is coming back to the Lord now. Uh, yeah, but my brother, def- my other brother, no, he's not at all. And then no. so my like extended family, like my mum's side, they're all not Christian. And my dad's side are half and half. Yeah. And was your mum, was she an Adventist believer before you were converted? Yes, she grew us all up, Seventh-day Adventists. Okay, so yeah. would you consider your home to be like a strong, solid, no. grounded Seventh-day Adventist family, like grounded in the Word, grounded in Christ, or would you say fringe members or what? My mom did the best she could raising three kids on her own, and she definitely prayed with us, read Bible stories with us. We had worship morning and evening, like as, as younger children. As we got older, we didn't. Yeah, so we did go to church every Sabbath, but we, yeah, we wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're a very strong, yeah, grounded family. Yeah, that's it. So everyone who gives their heart to God and receives the love of God and sees the truth of his word and the beauty of his word and how, and they, they kind of, they receive that kind of calm, peace, assurance that comes from knowing the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All of us who experience that, we want to share it and, mm. and we want to share it with those that we love, especially our family. And so it's natural to, to want to reach out and to share what we've experienced. It's just like when you, whenever you've seen a really good movie, you usually tell people about it. Or when you've been surfing and you caught a great wave, you tell your friends who surf about it. And it's because we naturally as humans want to share with those we care for, those that we love, the things we've experienced that were positive and, and beneficial. So what are some of the unique challenges that you've found, Leah, in trying to reach out for Jesus to your family members, to trying to share? What challenges have you yeah. experienced trying to share your faith with them? So I invited my eldest brother to my baptism. He didn't want to come. Oh, well, he didn't come. Don't know what the reason, but he just wasn't interested. And I, I remember being two years after I gave my life to Christ, Pastor Danny was running an evangelistic series at our church and knew that I had to invite my brother James. I'm like, this is an opportunity for me to yeah, share what I, like, I was so passionate about. And I remember being so afraid to invite him to, to this evangelistic series. And I just was like, okay, this is the day. I had a list of people who I was like, yeah, I'm going to invite all these people. And James, my brother, was on the list. And he was like the last person that I had to invite. The evangelistic series was starting soon. And I'm like, I'm going to go to work because we worked um, together at in my mum's cleaning business. And this was the day I picked. I was going up there to the school and I was going to invite him. Went up to the school. I'd been praying. I'd plucked up the courage. And then I couldn't find him anywhere. And I was like, where is he? Where is he? And then I asked his wife, who also works for our family business. Oh, no, he went home early today. And I was like, oh, great. I felt a bit disappointed. And I was like, no, I'm still going to go. I'm just going to go to his house. I'm going to knock on his door and I'm going to invite him. So I prayed again. I actually found someone else to pray with. And I was like, I really need help because it's really hard for me to talk to my brother about anything to do with God. But I really felt like this, like you were saying, if you have this desire to share with them the hope of salvation. Anyway, I went to his house, knocked on the door, was waiting there. My heart was pounding. I was like, what am I going to say? I don't even know what to talk to him about. 
So he answers the door. He's a bit surprised. He's like, Leah, why are you here? Why, you should be at work. And I was like, fumbled out words <laughs> to ask him if he'd want to come to this evangelistic series. And I pitched it to him in a way that he'd be interested because I know that Danny was going to be talking about like financial stuff in Matthew 24 kind of thing. And he was very polite. And I think he was, he felt a bit compassionate towards me because I probably was looked very nervous, but he was very nice and kind, but he didn't say he was going to come or he wasn't going to come, but I invited him and I walked away feeling so happy that God gave me the courage to actually go out and invite him even though he may not come or he may come. He never ended up coming and I've invited him to a few more series since then, especially our online ones that we've been doing um, over the past couple of years in in our conference. But the challenges that I face with reaching him is that he's just so anti-God, anti-religion. And I feel like you can invite people to these evangelistic series, but there is a way to reach certain people. And I think for him, it is only going to be by acts of kindness. And Ellen White actually says that there's some people who are so hardened that they'll only be won by acts of love and being interested in their life and spending time with them and making a real effort to meet them where they're at kind of thing, not trying to bring him along to this thing that he'll feel uncomfortable. But yeah, if that's... The other day I was talking to someone just about family in general, and he said... Often we treat people we love the most, the worst. And that's Mm. because they're the closest to us. So that the people outside of your family sphere, you don't have to interact with them in your most intimate private moments, but your family you do because you live like in the same room when you're kids or in the same house, you eat breakfast together. You're so close to each other that you can't keep your guard up all the time. And the worst of you comes out. And so therefore you treat those you love the worst most of in your life. If you think of like whenever I hear, whenever I think of the way that my sister and I interacted when we were kids and how terrible we were to each other. And so because of that, you have sometimes these, this long standing dysfunction where yep. although you really love each other, you love each other, you love your family more than you love anyone in most cases. Not all people mm. would feel that way, but in many, mo- most people's lives. But at the same time that you love them the most, you have the most issues with them. And oftentimes we we've lived in dysfunction for so long that it's hard to get around that and there can be like resentments and there could be pride and some competition that's lasted for a long time or some unwillingness to listen i see that with even in our family with my kids the holy spirit oftentimes tells me whenever my sons get too competitive with me don't let my competitive nature come out because i never want to create between my sons and I, a spirit of competition. Because if a spirit of competition develops between me and my boys, then they're not going to listen to my advice because they're in competition with dad. And dad's not someone that you should listen to or receive any help from because we're in competition. And that's very hard for me because I'm very competitive. And when my boys provoke me and get arrogant and cocky, I just want to put them in their place. But I have to try to rise above that. So this is just an example of how dysfunction can form and then flourish in a home. And then one individual in that home, home, and then it it almost becomes like institutionalized in your family, like these wrong ways of relating. And then one person gets converted, and then now they've got to navigate their way through all of this unhealthiness that's in their family relationship to try to reach their sibling or their mom or Mm -hmm. their son. I remember my mom, and my mom, when I was out of Christ and unsaved, I remember she she used to do these things that would make me so mad, so furious. She would like, I remember once I visited her house on a Sunday and she like, when I walked out of the door, she just did this whole like dramatic 
kind of movie scene thing where she's just standing there staring at me, like crying. And I'm just like, what are you crying looking at me for? And, and she just starts going, oh, son, Jesus misses you. Jesus misses you. And she's like crying and blubbering about how Jesus misses me. And I was so angry. And it wasn't just because I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, right? So I was respo- I was responding to that conviction unhealthily by being angry because anger can be a response to the conviction of the Spirit. But it was that here's this lady who I live with for years and we have a good relationship. And my, like your mom, my mom was a single mom and she did her best. But the amount of emotion she was expressing for me not being in Jesus didn't seem commensurate to her con- commitment to Jesus. Like I, cause I knew her, I knew her imperfections, her flaws and her lack of perfection. <laughs> just, and I just, I'm like, who's this, this lady crying for me? So I'm not telling anyone this because my mom wasn't sincere. She was very sincere and she loved me and wanted me to be free from the lifestyle that was, I was living it was a bad lifestyle. And so she was genuinely concerned and it was a good thing for her to do. I wouldn't say she did anything wrong, but man, it made me mad. It's just an example of how hard it can be to reach family. Like your own mom is sitting there crying for you and she's sincere and it's making you mad. And that's because of the years of our relationship. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that has a lot to do with people who have in family relationships who have grown up seeing one life lifestyle that they've lived and then when they've changed and accepted Christ, they still want to hold on to what they saw before that and it hinders them. And I think that's exactly what happened with my brother, actually. Yeah. No. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you, what are some things that you would say you've done wrong or things that you've done that were not helpful in your witness to your family? Yeah. I know in my personal, in my own home with my husband, I know what I've done wrong. And I, and it is, it is that Christ-like character that doesn't always come out. That is what I've done wrong in, in trying to reach, in trying to reach them. But as far as you're reaching out to others, I, I just think I haven't tried enough, to be honest. I pray for their conversion, for God to, to work in their life. But I think you, you have to be practical as well. And it it is hard when you don't live near these people as well. But look, I can't think of off the top of my head of of things I've done wrong. I'm sure I've done many things wrong, but I I think not doing enough is one thing because being in ministry and you would know this, Matt, and I know many pastors and other people, you can get really sidetracked with winning the world and um, not focusing on your own family. And I think that's one thing that I have struggled with. I haven't found that balance because I want to go do this mission trip. I want to go here and spread the gospel. I want to do this medical missionary training program. I want to do this cooking demonstration. I want to go do this Bible study. I want to spend all this time doing all these things and then not actually putting any effort into my own family. And yeah, that's actually one thing that I definitely would say that I've done wrong. Yeah. I just saw this post on social media that said, the word of God does not need defending as much as it needs obeying. Or it says something like that. We don't need to defend the word of God. We need to obey it. And I thought that's a really powerful thought. And it relates to family. I can witness to people who don't know me differently than to my family. Like I can get away with things with people that we don't know intimately that are not our family. They don't know us over the years. They don't know us intimately for years of time. And so we have the opportunity to just relate to them on a more factual basis. 
just like, hey, I'm this person, you're that person, we have this kind of interaction. Let me trans let me share this information with you. I'm your friend, I'm your colleague, we interact on this level. I'm going to on this level share information with you. But we have a certain kind of relationship with family. And in a way, you can't get away with things with your family that you can get away with other people. And so it's almost like the the best witness for family is you living the kind of life that makes God's way look good. You really relishing the Christian way, you being happy and, and your life being enriched and blessed and full and awesome because of your faith. They, they need to see how God has improved your life and they need to see how much you love God and how much God has made you a person who's desirable and better because I think that's first and foremost with family. Yeah, like we need because to... Because they just know you too good. Like, yeah, exactly. We need to show that Jesus is desirable. Mm -hmm. And there's a book, I can't remember what it's called, but I think it's, oh, it's gone from me. It's by Glenn Kuhn, but it's about reaching out to your family and like something about, yeah, reaching them through the heart or something. I, I can't remember, but basically it, it's, it's telling you like your experience with God needs to be real for one. And yeah, the Christian life has to look good and it should look it should improve yep. every area of your life it shouldn't be this drudgery this sorrowful restrictive we're freeing christ and it should be seen in our countenance totally i can tell you when i was converted there were a group of young people i was 25 when i was baptized into the seventh day Adventist church into the body of christ and i was amazed at the life these young people were living their knowledge of scripture was deep and thorough and they were always studying and memorizing the word of God. But they were not like monastics living some kind of life of ascetic gloom in the middle of the wilderness, not talking to people for years. They were active and healthy and energetic. And they were just like high on life. And they were not trying to live a worldly, quote, existence, you know, like to gain position and favor in the world. They were like unashamedly Christians. They had died to the world. But like when you went to the park and played volleyball, like they play volleyball and have fun and they were just happy about life. And then while we were at the park playing volleyball, one of the guys starts like, he's like, hey, let's do a Bible study. And we did a Bible. I remember I'm just like, I'm just going to this evangelistic meeting. These guys asked me to come play volleyball, these Bible workers. So I go play Bible volleyball with them. We have a great game of volleyball. These guys take off their shirts. And I'd always imagine that vegetarians were like all unhealthy and the vegetarians I knew were either veggie meat vegetarians with big pot bellies or like skin and bones like dying people. And these guys took off their shirts and they were ripped. They had six packs and they were like healthy and they they were athletic. And we played this really great game of volleyball. And then this guy's like, ah, let's have a Bible study. His name was Daniel Mesa. We had a Bible study in the park and he started and people started gathering. And we had this like impromptu like witnessing session where he starts preaching a sermon. Like 20 people were there and we were giving out tracts and it was just like, and these guys were unashamed and not fearful, and they had good answers to respond to people's questions. It was like, it was so attractive where it was just like, wow. And they were good friends who really, they didn't make fun of each other. They weren't using each other. The basis of their friendship was like, let's be unselfish. Let's be like Jesus. Let's serve the world. Let's give our lives for others. And I was just like, wow, are these, I think this is the, these are the people I've always dreamed of. This is the, these are real Christians. And it was so impressive. And I had always in my immature mind thought there's virtue in godliness. There's virtue in faith. But boy, there's no fun. There's no happiness. But to be really righteous and really together with God, it's just there's definitely no fun. 
And then on the other hand, I thought there's lots of fun and pleasure to be had in the world, but the end of it is death. And so I'm caught in the middle thinking life can never be satisfying. And then I didn't realize that when you're born again and you fully submit and surrender yourself to God truly and to scripture, there's a new kind of life. There's a new kind of fun. There's a new kind of joy. There's a new kind of pleasure. And I guess my point that relates to our discussion is that I think with family, that's the kind of witness that they need to see. Like you came to Christ and you're healthier. Like you're healthy, like your life habits are healthy and you're happier and you're excited and you're, it's, I give my life to Jesus and and now I read good books and I have interesting things to communicate to people. And that makes a difference to my family. Like it's just awesome. So anyways, yeah, I think that's just the thought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hey, I've got some of these little tips that I've, I know they're not tips. They're actually, you know, inspired by God because they're in the Bible. That like I would, hints. They're, they're hints. practical in how we can reach our family. Uh, do you have your Bible with you, Matt? Yeah, I do. I actually do. Do you want to, the first one is to pray, uh, which is obviously we should all be praying for our family, whether they're converted or not. And that is found in Job. I've, I, I thought of Job because Job had a lot of children, seven sons, three daughters, Job chapter one. And it, it talks about Job and how he was an upright man, one that feared the Lord and that he was, it says he eschewed evil. I mean, he was perfect, actually. It says perfect. He was blameless. And then the one thing it describes about him is how he interceded for his family. If you want to read verse 1 and 4 sure, and 5. Yeah. yeah, sure. So it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Verse 4, His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send an invite and invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. When the days of their feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering a burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did this continually. Yeah, I just love how Job was faithful in interceding for his family knowing that they were maybe living a life that was not close to God and he was doing all he can to stand in the gap for them. And yeah, in verse one, it describes how upright and how blameless he was. And one of those things that a person who is that kind of character will do is really pray for their family, their children. And we know that we can pray for our children and our family as much as we want. Ultimately, it's their decision, but we should be praying because God Mm -hmm. can soften that heart and he can work to bring about circumstances, to bring about people in their lives. We're just asking God to intervene for them. That's right. And God honors their free will, but he also honors ours. If a person is with their own free will rejecting God, God honors that. But then if I am with my free will interceding on that person's behalf and saying, God, please send angels, send the spirit, send circumstances through which they can hear your voice. You know, he can honor my free will and not be not be opposing their free will. Yeah, exactly. Right? There's like these rules of engagement that, that's right. yeah. Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is praying and the Bible says that it takes 21 days before an angel arrives. And then the angel says to Daniel, as soon as you began to pray, which was three weeks before, I, I the word was sent for me to come, but I was in contention with the prince of Persia. And so I couldn't come until then Michael came and then he settled the situation And then I was able to come to you. So it talks about angelic conflict and how there's the will of certain people 
And that, that the angels have to contend with that. They have to work around that. That's right. And so our prayers actually, this is the weirdest thing to say, but they give God permission to do what he otherwise doesn't have permission to do. And yep. it's not that he doesn't have permission in the sense that he is submitted and under the authority of any created being, but rather he's just a, a lovely person who doesn't violate the will. And so he doesn't give himself the permission to force someone else yeah, that's to right. respond to his spirit. It says Corinthians, I think it's first Corinthians 10, but it says the weapons of our, of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual in the pulling down of strongholds. Mm-hmm. So we know that our weapons against the enemy and his way to blind our family's hearts is through spiritual weapons, which is prayer, which is faith accompanied with prayer and um, the word yeah. of God as well. But Abraham was another person who I thought about intercessory prayer because he interceded for Sodom because of Lot was there. And God heard that prayer and Lot was delivered. So there's many instances, you know. That's a good point. Hey, let me throw this in there too, is that Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And we see the disciples at certain times trying to help Jesus, but they actually get in the way. And they actually do things that are wrong and that impede the progress of the gospel. And one one of those occasions, like one of those occasions is in Matthew 17, where a man questions Peter about whether Jesus pays the customary tax to the temple. Obviously, the man wouldn't ask the question if Jesus had been paying the temple tax. And so Peter, when asked, says, yes, he does. Because Peter read an insinuation in the man's question. He understood that the man was insinuating that Jesus wasn't paying the temple tax and therefore was unloyal to the temple. And so Peter's trying to defend Jesus by saying, yes, he does pay the temple tax, but he didn't. And then when Peter goes home, Jesus has a conversation with him and and tells him, who has to pay taxes to a king, the son of a king or a stranger? And Peter says, yeah, the strangers. And then he says, the sons are free. And he's talking about himself. I'm the son of God and I'm not obligated to pay the temple tax. So you're trying to help me, Peter. You're trying to defend me, but you're not helping me. You're actually making it seem like I'm not the king by telling him I'm obligated to pay the temple tax like some ordinary person, but I'm not obligated to. And Peter, and I always say this, Peter's mistake in Matthew 17 was that he spoke for Jesus before he spoke to him. And so oftentimes we speak for Jesus before we speak to him. And Ellen White says that Prayer does not bring God down to us. It brings us up to God. And sometimes opportunity for witnessing to family arises, but we're not in tune with God because we've not been brought up to God through prayer. And so without we're not connected. We don't do God any good, even though we're trying. So I'm trying to witness. I'm trying to reach out to my family. But look, I'm not even connected with God, so I'm not fit to reach out to my family. So I'm just like trying to push them from behind rather than lead them from in front. And I'm not seeing the spirits moving and the spirits working. And I'm not in tune with the spirit because I'm not really talking to Jesus, but I'm talking for him a lot. Yeah, you know, no, I'm totally. Just, I'm stuffing things up because of it. That's right. So what first one would be, you have to be connected. Yep. You have to be connected to the vine. You have to be, like you said, we can't do anything unless we're connected. And then with that connection, you're praying for intervention. The third point I would say is um, found in First Peter chapter 2 if you want to go there. And that's living a consistent Christian life. Like we've already talked about that, how we're to make, not to make it, but our life is to show the glory of God. Um, In 1 Peter 2 verse 12 and verse 15. Sure, you want me to read? Yeah. All right. 
verse 12 and which other verse? And 15. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of the visitation. And verse 14, oh, verse 15 says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of the foolish men. Yeah, so we're talking about unbelievers here, and they can be your family, but that consistent Christian life, no matter how good you are arguing your truth, your point of view, it, that can only sometimes create more opposition, but a consistent godly life, no one can gainsay. No one can, because, yeah, you are living it and it's consistent. And I think consistency is the key there. One day you're flipping off the rails and the next day you're trying to you know, bring them to Christ. Right. Yeah. yeah, totally. There was, a, there was a funeral that I preached in my family. I've always been, I've got no, not a whole lot of people who followed the Lord in my family. As a resident family holy man, I get to preach at all of the funerals or family at family reunions, I'm the guy that my uncle asked to you know, do devotions and stuff. So I'm speaking at a deceased family member's funeral, and a woman gets up, and she's part of our extended family, and she, not blood family, but kind of friend, just immersed. I come from a community where you have lots of family that aren't your family, so she's part of our larger family. And she gets up, and she's, you kids sitting in the back, you're all going to hell. You are going to hell. You don't know the Lord. You're going to hell. And Christy, that was her name. She says, I was by her bedside right before she died and she confessed the Lord Jesus and she was spared from hell. You kids are all going to hell. And they're all, the kids are all sitting in the back. I'm up the front. Like I, I, I basically was doing the, the sermon. I did the message and then I gave time for reflection. So that if anyone would like to come up and say something to honor Christy, to share a story or an experience, to honor her life and to honor God who gave her to us as a gift. Now's your chance. And so this lady abused that opportunity I gave her and started preaching. And I think that's a good example of a mistake in how to witness to you. Yes. A very extreme example, but it's a totally true story. I remember I was standing there, Lord, I guess I made a mistake giving the mic to the crowd. I'd done that before at my grandmother's funeral and it went so beautifully. Yeah, normally people are saying wonderful things. It went so beautifully. And this lady just got, and I'm just like, she's insane. And I just, okay, thank you so much. You might have a seat now. Oh, it's just so weird. But she's alienating everyone, not taking into consideration where they're at, what they're experiencing, how they view her, how they view her faith. It's almost like she was so unaware of herself and of the condition that other people were in and where they were coming from. And there's always a time where you've got to risk being misunderstood in your yes. witness. I get that. But what she was doing was so extreme. It was just like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Do you know? And the kids were in the back just laughing. Just, yeah, yeah, right. She had right. no effect. She just basically made the faith she was trying to promote look stupid. I know. Well, in family, especially with younger youth and children, and this is going back to the point of a, Christ, a consistent Christian life is they can pick up on hypocrisy like so easily and they hate it. It turns them away. Like you're not living what you're saying, dad or mom, or they'll pick that up straight away. So 
yeah, living it is so important because hypocrisy is just a killer for any spirituality in your children. It, yes. Yeah. Totally. I, I think, yeah. So, so we, we just have a little bit of time here. So yeah. do you want to maybe rapid fire some of the other practical tips? Yeah, I only have? had basically one more. I did want to touch on Jesus' life just quickly. He doesn't say much about his early life in the Bible, but if you read The Desire of Ages, Ellen White makes some comments about him dealing with his brothers in the home. And they were unbelievers to a, to a certain extent, in, definitely in him at that point. But he lived a consistent life. He was always connected to his father. And they would try and get him to do things that were against, they were a bit rebellious. And he always came with, it is written. And But he rarely rebuked them, she says. He rarely rebuked their wrongdoing, but he just lived his life faithfully to God. And I think that is a really big example for us in our homes because, yeah, it's definitely the example we need to follow sometimes, not all, sometimes, but all the time. The way that Jesus dealt with his brothers, I think, is a real big, powerful way of winning people um, because they actually misunderstood him a lot and they were really irritated by his holiness, like his holy life, and they just didn't yeah. understand it. They just didn't get it. But he didn't let that affect the way he, that he lived. He continued to live faithfully and consistently in the word of God. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention Jesus's life there. And the last thing I think is spending time with your family. That seems like a really obvious thing. But like I said before, we can be so busy doing ministry in other areas that we neglect to spend quality time with them. And you can't really influence anyone if you're not spending time with them. Isaiah 58 verse says, verse 7 says to not hide yourself from your own flesh don't hide from your relatives when they need your help so there's a big instruction to us to not neglect those closest to us um, i want to share a few practical points too one is don't hide your faults from your family members being a spiritual leader in your family does not just mean that you're doesn't mean that you're the holiest it's it means that you're the most honest about your faults and i've found myself in positions with extended family where I've made mistakes. And I'm so humiliated and angered by my mistake because I'm the one who knows more than anyone better, how better to behave. And, I, and I've had that you know, decision to make. Do you just cover it up and pretend like it didn't happen? Or do you come clean and go to your family member and say, I did this, it was wrong, there was no excuse, and I'm so sorry, and I ask that you'll forgive me. To humble yourself before your non-Christian family when you make a mistake because you coming to Jesus didn't make you perfect. It's improving. You're becoming better. But when your family sees you unwilling to confess your faults, they immediately put up a wall between your faith and them because they just see dishonesty. They see hypocrisy. And you don't even have to be a hypocrite for them to see hypocrisy. Just don't admit when you're wrong. Like just be slow to apologize when you've made a mistake. And we always make mistakes with family. And so st start the practice of apologizing to family, whether it's your kids or your mom or your brother. I'm in my family. This is my kids, man. I feel like I've apologized to them way more than they've apologized to me. And, uh, and I think it's good. And my kids, man, I know if I wasn't willing to apologize to my sons, they would probably hate the faith that I profess. To humble myself before my eight-year-old and say, dad has problems and I'm working on them, son. And the way I just spoke to you, even though you mistreated your brother, I shouldn't have spoken to you that way because you didn't deserve that. And you made an honest mistake. And what I should have done and explain it. And I said, brother, pray for me now. And I haven't prayed for me. That's powerful. The 40, and I think that's very important. So start a habit of confessing your faults to your family mm -hmm. and showing them your humanity that your faith in Christ is not based on you believing you're now good, but it's based on you understanding that you're not good. 
I had a, a stepdad who died at 56. And he, he was an interesting, it's, it's funny to call him my stepdad because he was my stepmom's new husband. So my dad, after he divorced my mom, married another woman, and then divorced that other woman. And then that other woman married a guy named Archie. And I call him my stepdad too, because he was married to my stepmom. And he fathered my half brother and sister. So he and I were good friends, good buddies. We used to always talk. We'd sit in his garage in Oregon. He'd have, he'd drink a bottle of Rumpelman's, get drunk. We'd sit outside and, you know, talk. And he'd always be amazed at the change that he saw in my life. And one night he just looked at me and he's like, I just can never be what you are, man. You've come to you've come to God and you're just living this life and it's just you're just so good and how could you be so good? And I remember explaining to him, and it was like his mind was like grappling with this puzzle. And I said, No, I've not come to God because I'm good. I've come to God because I've begun to realize that I'm not. And my faith in Christ and my living in accordance with his will is not because I think I'm good. It's because I know I'm not good. And so I submit to his direction and to his leadership because I understand and acknowledge that I can't trust myself because I'm corrupt and I'm sinful and I'm more sinful than you. That's why I trust in him. And and it was just like, he didn't get it. And having that, like what you were saying, we spent lots of time together. I'm hanging out, like I'm a former like party guy and I'm living a life of abuse and kind of, I don't know what you call it, whatever. Anyway, so I'm living a riotous life. I'm now converted. What what am I being benefited hanging out in this garage for hours on end, listening to war stories from Archie and talking with him about the things that I don't care about? And it's not like I'm allowing myself to be drawn into conversations that were unhealthy for me spiritually. We're just talking. We're talking the war. We're talking his childhood. We're talking you know, his hobbies. We're talking his social views. We're talking his politics. We're talking sports. We're talking his relationship with my stepmom. We're talking, and it's like, I like the guy. Like, I like him. And he knows I like him and I like talking to him and I like learning from him and I like associating with him. And then that's, that opens him up to me and we're talking. And I remember when I shared that with him, it was like, whoa. So number one, confess your faults. Number two, help people to see that your Christian faith, you're not going on this Christian journey because you think you're good. You've gone on this Christian journey because you've realized that you're not, that you're a chief of sinners. Something else I think is really important in regards to relating uh, to your family. It's everything that we've just said, but it's a verse in 1 Timothy 4. It's the last verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching or to the doctrine. Preserve or persevere in these things. That's the teaching. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those around you. Boom. How do you win your family? According to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and the last verse 16. It's you pay close attention to the doctrine, you continue steadfastly in it, and in doing so, you will save yourself and those around you, your family. That's what your family need. They need, they need an example. They need an example. And I think you should talk to them and share with them freely, but it should be natural. It should not be forced. And you have to give them space and be confident that the Spirit is at work and you don't have to push them and shove them. And there was, I was preaching in Comiaguela. No, it was, that was Honduras. I was preaching an evangelistic series in the Dominican Republic in 2001. And I remember getting off the, the pulpit. I'd made an appeal and several people had come forward. And then I sat down and the pastor of the church got up and he made a second appeal. And as I was sitting there, there was a young girl, maybe 14, 15 in the front row. And her mom was behind her in the second row. And as the pastor preached, I was sitting next to the girl, actually. I was on the I was on the first row with the girl. And I kept and I saw this girl like like jerking forward. 
as the pastor was making the appeal. I didn't understand why. And I looked over and her mom was pushing her, like physically pushing her from the back, saying, go up to the front, like forcing her. And I think sometimes with family, we think we have the right to force in ways that we don't have the right to force. Our family, they deserve the same respect that we would give any other human being. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to encourage and and the Bible does say compel in Luke 14. It doesn't mean compel like in the physical forcing way, but give strong reasons for someone to make the right decision when you have opportunity. But we don't have the right to try to force our family and to dictate to them what they must believe and when they must believe it. And I think that can be really hard for us. We need to believe in them and believe that the spirit is working with them and give them time and give them time. Anyway, so that's just a thought. And I, yeah, so anyways, thank you, yeah, Leah, for joining me and sharing your wisdom and your experience in those Bible verses. And everyone, we hope that, yeah, this conversation just gets you thinking more about how to reach your family and how to navigate your way successfully through the challenges that that, that brings. And I really believe God loves your brother. He loves your sister. He loves your mother. He loves your uncle. He loves us all. And he's working in various ways to bring everyone to salvation. And the Bible says that explicitly. And he desires all to be saved. And the Spirit of God is sent to the whole world. So God's working out a plan for our families. And I think our job is to to, to align ourselves so closely to God that we don't get in the way of that. And yet, may God bless you guys as you continue to be the lights of the world and reach out to family and neighbors and whoever you possibly can, because Jesus is coming soon. And, and it, it's, it's, it's our great hope. And all the best to you as you live and enjoy this week. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Take care, everyone.